You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. and a very special guest to start the program off for 2022. And we don't go, uh, you know, first class, second class. We go to the top of the class. Uh, Gary Cole, former Socceroo. In fact, always a Socceroo. I mean, there's no such thing. It's like a former Olympian. You're always an Olympian. He's a Socceroo uh, from, a, yes. from a golden time. And welcome for joining us on what we call State of Our Football Nation. Gary, how are you? Very well, thanks, George. Thank you, Josh and George, for the invite. It's great to be here. But, mate, I'm good. I've got out, I've worked, finally worked out, George, after yes. a, a tough couple of years. That if you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, it's a bloody good day. And today <laughs> is a bloody good day. Yes, and I, I can't uh, do anything else but concur. You're absolutely right. You've, you've been on a bit of a health uh, journey, uh, a, a bit of a scare, but you fought, you fought it well and... Uh, Looking good, Captain. Uh, this is the most important thing. And I can also see in you a new fire, a new focus. You're getting right behind uh, helping some of the uh, young coaches and some of our older coaches to get even better at what they do and, and how they apply their game. And uh, you're also part of uh, a group of uh, mentors who are making and have made quite some uh, a difference over the last few years. Um, what are we likely to see this year, 2022, especially in the women's side of things? Um, we're watching some of our coaches, our men, whether it's Joe Montemuro, whether it's uh, Ange Postacoglu, Michael Valkanis, and, uh, of course, uh, um, the, uh, the guy that I know very well um, from our days at South Melbourne, a guy called Musket, who seems to follow Ange and can almost, can almost achieve... The, the same dizzy heights. And I understand, what have they done? They renewed his contract again? Yeah, they've extended it. Um, so I, I, I don't know the details of his original contract, but um, I, I'm actually talking to, to Kevin tomorrow, uh, albeit recorded for the Football Coaching Life, a podcast that's um, put out by um, Football Coaches Australia as a way of educating coaches. You know, I think one of the things, George, that we've done over the journey, if you think about when you talk to coaches, it's normally when they get appointed into a job, when they get sacked, at the end of a job, before a game, after a game, and occasionally someone asks a coach their thoughts, views, opinions about another game. But unless you are an Ange Postacoglu uh, and you've written a book, most people just don't know the stories. You know, mm -hmm. there there are people um, like Kevin that had a you know distinguished playing career that that along with our, so many others of that golden generation. And there are people like Joe Montemuro that essentially finished playing. You know, I think he played in the, the Italian um, lower leagues before coming back to Australia at age 27 and then coaching juniors for an awful long time. There was no race to the top for Joe. You know, success for him has been coaching for over 20 years and learning his craft. Mm. I, I loved it in the conversation with him. He said, um, getting better is, is understand, making, making the mess tidy. Yeah, Because in the beginning, you're taking fragments and doing a whole range of things because you saw a session here and you saw a session there. And it took him a long while till he could finally sit down and go, you know, what? what, what is it that I want to do? How do I want my teams to play? And how, how can we work on that training tonight to make that happen uh, and, and get 
getting some of that chaos organised. So I think, you know, this is a, a, another big year. We've got, in addition to that, we've got Tanya Oxterby, who um, was the manager of Bristol City and is, is now uh, Chelsea's assistant manager. Uh, in the in the women's super league in in the UK, we've got Linda Wilson in a um, who's the, the FIFA women's um, uh, technical development manager. You know, it's absolutely incredible. So there's some wonderful things happening for our men and women in coaches around the place, and I think coaches have done a terrific job in difficult circumstances. Uh, and I'll say that if I get to put my football coaches Australia hat on for a tick, I think what's happened in Australia in the last ten to twelve years, we've done a really good job at licensing coaches. You know, we can we can get people to come through the door, we can put them on a course, we can take their money, and, and we can give them a license. But I liken that to um, the Victorian government giving me a driver's license when I was eighteen. They gave me a license, it gave me access to the roads, it didn't make me a good driver. You know, it took, it, it took me a fair few mistakes to become what I'm going to say I'm a pretty good driver, and I managed to survive them all, albeit one of them was very, very serious. So if when you talk to coaches, as I now do on their journey, they understand that they learn more when they're losing games of football <laughs> than they do from when they're winning. The trouble in coaching, of course, is if you learn three or four games in a row – you don't have a job. So you, you then go into this space where you get to refine and, and, and hopefully another position comes around. So one of the things that Football Coaches Australia um, has tasked itself to do, the members want us to do, is help. So in Australia right now, coach education and licensing is run by Football Australia and the member feds. They deliver coaching licences around the country. Um, they're also responsible for ongoing coach education. But the truth is we've had over a long period of time such a small investment into coach education that in the main their focus is licensing. You know, the, the, the member feds might mm. have an annual coaching conference and, and there will be some other bits and pieces around the edges. I don't want to be, you know, totally unkind, but how do people get better? What opportunities, what ongoing education? Well, well, Josh will tell you always there's one way to get better, and that is, Josh, how is it? Doing. Yes. It's the experience <laughs> gained. It's the mistakes yeah. you make. And as a young broadcaster, the most exciting thing and the most challenging thing is to remain calm while everyone else around you is losing their heads. <laughs> and the same thing with the coach. Correct, Gary? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we mentioned Muskie before, um, uh, and <laughs> you've only got to do a little bit of research about his journey, which obviously significant, uh, you know, over well over 500 games as a professional player and a whole bunch of controversy in there because of the white line fever he, he had as a player. Um, uh, but you can't, you know, you just can't survive if you've got white line fever as a coach because you've just got going to, to say, be thinking about what's did he, going on. How did he make the transition, Gary? Well, uh, your listeners are going to have to tune in in a few weeks when, <laughs> when we ask him that question because <laughs> it's a really interesting one. You know, he, he did um, – he, he was a fiery character um, and no doubt that's still in there. But if you want to communicate to people, you need to be – in a sometimes look, we'll, we'll, a lot of people, um, it never hurts if you 
let them know in no uncertain terms that they've done the wrong thing. But if you shout and scream all the time, I don't think you have a hope in hell of creating a learning environment. You don't have a hope in hell of creating uh, an environment where people feel safe and trusted to make mistakes. You know, if, if I can hopefully use Josh's situation. Josh, do you think you're a better broadcaster now than you were when you started in the gig? I occasionally go back and listen to some of the first shows and I, I have to watch through my fingers. <laughs> so, yes, is the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how have you gotten better over your journey? I guess practice. Do you have a mentor or some people that might give you some well, tips, I, tips I, along the way? I, I remember the other man on this call giving me a few few tips about my, <laughs> my news blasts during the old breakfast show and uh, and how I was scripting them and so forth. And we went through my scripts and, and so forth. But, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of advice from people and also just learning from watching and listening to others yeah. and you're just thinking, why do I like this person and not that yeah. that person? Because everyone's got different tastes in, in broadcasting, I suppose, and trying to yep. sort of beg, borrow and steal little elements of other people's presentation styles and so forth. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think that's what coaching is. Mm. You know, Muskie, Muskie um, has had some wonderful coaches over his journey, you know, for the uh, Eddie Thompson, Ralph Blanco, Les oh, Scheinfeld wow. when he was with the you know the Socceroos, Terry Venables, Alex McLeish when he was at Rangers, um, Ernie Merrick, Ange Postacoglu. He's had an awful lot of people that have provided him with opportunities, and I think Kevin's now obviously picked the best mm. of that. He obviously has a very similar football philosophy to Ange, but he doesn't do it exactly the same way because he can't because mm. he isn't Ange. Mm. You know, he has to play that high-intensity attacking brand of football but do it the way Kevin can do it, the way he can deliver that and can communicate um, <laughs> with his latest challenge, which is through a translator. I was going to say. He doesn't, he's not fluent in, in, uh, in Japanese just yet. I was going to say, as a coaching mentor, as, as someone who is coaching the next layer of coaches, in this modern world of ours, where, where the dressing room can have increasingly uh, three, four, seven players of different ethnic backgrounds, and we're seeing it in the EPL, uh, we're seeing, uh, of course, uh, the African uh, Cup is on at the moment, and you've got players from Mali, from Senegal, from Egypt, and, uh, and on and on and it goes. How difficult must it be, not only to put to carry the characters and to give them some idea of where you want to go, but also overcome the language barrier. Oh, incredible. You know, when we were at Victory, um, we we were the first in the A-League to bring in the Brazilian players and, you know, a few words of English best if you're lucky. Fred. (laughs) Yep. Alessandro. um, Yeah. Claudinho. Um, And thank goodness, you know, we had, we, we did employ an interpreter to come in and help. Um, we were just blessed that Rod- Roddy Vargas, who's Chilean um, heritage, f- speaks a version of Spanish or Portuguese that, you know, made made all that work. So I'm sure that happens at football clubs uh, around the world. And the other thing that you learn, of course, is that just because you have a translator in the room doesn't mean they're giving the same message the way it's coming from your mouth. Um, and I think that's part of the learning particularly for coaches, you know, to, to, I say red, the translation might be more pinkish or bluish <laughs> or greenish. Um, so, but it, but it certainly is a challenge. And, and I'll tell you what, George, that 
isn't included, to my knowledge, on any coaching course that you can uh, that you can go on around around the world. Well, we knew Leandro Love knew uh, knew a couple of words. We knew knew he knew disco and chocolate. I think those are the only two. (laughs) Sweet, that's right. Recall with any regularity. Yeah, yeah. Corona. Um, I was just, I was just going to say, we've got the AFC uh, Asian Cup coming up for the for the women. The Matildas uh, side has been picked. Um, we're already uh, hearing from various elements in the marketplace uh, who they would love to see in the final eleven or the final thirteen when they when they're picked. Um, form as a coach, Gary, you you've been on both sides of this. Do you pick potential? Do you pick the best form? Or do you sometimes have to go to the very edge and you know the heart of the player that you want and maybe they need that extra uh, juice of the occasion to get them over the line or over the hump that's going on at the moment? I think that's really interesting, George, because you, as a coach, you want and are expected to win every game oh, yeah. competing that's just the way it goes as a national coach <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't go away or change more difficult for national coaches because they have to as well as go into qualifying uh, competitions and then into tournaments they are they do need to win games otherwise you can't progress they also need to develop players so we see Tony Gustafsson through you know I can't remember how many games he's played now probably 15 or 16 games around about now um, you know, I, I think that latest, that last game in Sydney where he started the two teenagers as central defenders, you know, most most fans, most coaches went, bloody hell, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's sort of high risk. And, and you go, is he going to start with two 17-year-olds in the middle of defence in the opening game in the Asian Cup? And you go, probably not. You know, he might go for experience there. But... He will have a much clearer picture about the capability of those younger players because he gave them that opportunity. And I guess the magic in this whole thing is the coach being able to, one, show the players he believes in them, help them develop the way of play that the team goes, help them to fit in and understand that, and then at some point having the belief in them enough to say, okay, well, now here's the opportunity, you take it. But I, I think at the end of the day, we want everyone wants the best team on the park in every game. The challenge is in tournament football, the games come around fairly quickly and, you know, you might be able to get your best 11 players and they all stay fit and healthy and you can get them through 90 minutes of football and three days later they might be able to do it again. But come that third game, you know, there's going to be some tired, weary bodies. And if you're now thinking about going on to the knockout stages, you've got to be able to do it. So I think all great coaches are great jugglers as well. They, they all worked on the circus at some stage and spin plates on bamboo poles and they spin this one and then they spin the second one and they come back to keep the game before they crash uh, and smash into little pieces. Well, that was Andy Merrick's talking. upbringing, wasn't it? Sorry. Quite literally. <laughs> he grew up in a circus family, I read the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would explain everything. <laughs> he does. He does do a party trick. Not not very very rarely for the cameras. Albeit, um, he, he, I think he did do it. He was caught on camera in Newcastle. He walks around balancing a broom or a you know a long handle on the on his shin, walking around. Isn't that great? And if he has a couple of glasses of red, um, he can you know accentuate those stories as well. Uh, Gary, the thing that we're seeing more and more of, and you hear it in the commentary, and, and I want to ask the question of Josh now too, 
Peter Drury and, and, and that elite crew that, that commentate on the EPL, you'll hear them saying, Conte has made this decision, Klopp has made this, that and the other, and suddenly something happens and it's normally good. Are we seeing more and more coaches actually plan a game and they say, that's my, that's my starting eleven, and I've got a couple of impact players, I've got a couple of options if I need to do this. Is, is it almost like, as Mourinho used to say, it's a puzzle and I've got to try and, and, and get, fit all the pieces? Is it as advanced as that? Oh, look, there's no doubt, George. I think the, the reality is the game of football has never been analysed as it is analysed today. You know, to and think, the stats. Yeah. Oh. And so I, I went to a, um, uh, a sports, um, what do you call it, um, e-conference, and uh, a company were producing uh, game stats. Uh, I think this was uh, an American-based thing here in Australia, but... Um, and they had a program where essentially post-game they can give a coach 40, 50-page report of analysis. Now, every experience that I've had <laughs> with a coach, they don't have enough hours in the day to be able to have a 50-page report. So I can almost guarantee that, that most of the coaches that you've mentioned will have the game analysed, but they'll say to the analysts, this is how I want you to the game to analyse the game for me about what we do, where we do it, how we do it, about what they do, where they do it, how that goes around. And as well as that, we want to know the same information about the team we're playing next week because we need to prepare our training that way. You know, and what I think coaching, for me, I played at a time as coaching was developing. So I spent the early part of my coaching time they were called coaches, but they were more like trainers. So we went, we ran laps to warm up, we did some sprints, we all did push-ups, we did sit-ups. There was not a lot of physical conditioning. And then we sort of played football and there was lots of ranting and raving about getting stuck in and, you know. The best coaching when I was playing often happened not from coaches but by players, particularly professional players on the pitch, that would tell you where to go and how to do this. And then over the journey, I stumbled across a bloke called Eric Worthington, who is the grandfather of the coach education system here and had a huge influence over people like Ronnie Smith and Ian Greener and Harry Harry, and those coaches that have done such a great job here in Victoria. I was blown away. We went up to Sydney. It was before Australia had formally had an under-23 team. There was a tournament in Indonesia, one of those... um, Medical friendly tournaments that get created really quickly. We need to get a group of players uh, together. So we we went up to Sydney. I, I roomed with uh, an old South Melbourne player. Well, he wasn't old. He was a very young South Melbourne player called Duncan Cummings. And, oh, yes. I don't know what happened to Duncan. Fantastic player, this beard. But in that training session, George, Eric ran a section that helped the strikers change their behaviours, helped me change my behaviour during the training session in that session, and that was applicable to the game on the weekend, and it improved mine and the team performance. And I thought he was a witch doctor. Uh-huh. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that someone could predict we could make other teams do things to our advantage, and we could do things to take advantage of that. And not only that, that I knew 
if you got the ball in that right back position, I knew where you were going to play it. And so did the second striker. So if I was coming short, he was going long. And, and that was like witch doctoring back, back in those days. And now, it's of called, course, the It's best... called herding, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we we yeah, call it a super right. press. It's actually yeah. herding. There are border collies that are, that are bred to do that sort of thing. <laughs> Pity we don't do it as footballers. Yeah. Yeah, breed so, them to, to, to raid the opposition attack. Absolutely. But, but I, I think the best coaches in the world today are still doing that. They're working with people, helping them grow and develop as players to help them be better at what they do and, and so that they fully understand what they do and how it impacts on the people that, that they play with and around. And that's where you see, you know, how important the defensive partnerships or a goalkeeper and the two central defenders, oh. how important is that? How important is that link up the middle of the pitch? How important is it? When you, you're playing with two up front or you're playing with a deep-line striker and then a number 10, that they really understand about where each other's moving. And when we've got the ball in the space and under no pressure, we're going to play in behind defenders. You know, there's just more of that now because people can analyse it better and talk about it. But again, for me, the magic still comes back to it's okay me knowing that. It's okay you knowing stuff about broadcasting, but can you help Josh become a better broadcaster? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to wait. We're going to wait over the next couple of weeks when you speak to Kevin Musket to find out how he's, <laughs> uh, as they say, reined in his white fever. I, I got a chance many years ago to to know a guy called Fabulous Phil Carmen, and Phil yeah. Carmen went from this eccentric, fabulously gifted white line fever footballer to becoming a, a super successful SANFL coach for Sturt. Yeah in the old SANFL in, in South Australia. So I saw him and I remember saying to him, how did this happen? And he said, you realise you just can't keep biffing them. <laughs> no, oh, too Gary. Much time not, 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 not being able to play. So what's next? What's the next big thing for the coaches in this country and how do we get our women prepared for what promises to be a super exciting w- Women's World Cup next year? Yeah. Look, in terms of coaches in Australia, I think there's a, there's two really, really good things happening right now. Um, Ron Smith, who's, who's helping um, uh, tr- uh, the National TD review and improve on the coach education, so particularly those A and B licences and the C licences, they're reviewing the delivery of those. They're... they're there was some criticism laid that coach education had become very academic mm. um, and it is academic today. You know, there's no doubt there is a science of coaching. But again, you know, the magic of coaching happens out on the grass, mm. on the pitch. Mm. And so there's definitely this move within the licences to make the, 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 the coach education mm. and the assessment of that a lot more practical. Um, and I, My belief is that that's a godsend. In and around that, you've got Football Coaches Australia, um, which is a membership-based organisation that, that is a volunteer-based organisation, unfortunately, at this stage until we can grow the funds to do better than that. But our task is to do a couple of different things. Firstly, be advocates for the coaches. You know, The, the reality is coaches are often the first to go, mm-hmm. uh, even when they don't deserve it. In many cases, they might have a contract, they might not have a contract. So the role of that is to, to be advocates for coaches. For me, the best thing that we can do is provide ongoing coach education. So that's online webinars on the grass. Uh, we've, we've just engaged um, 
we haven't engaged him, but we've begged Ernie Merrick to come on board as, as an ambassador. And uh, Ernie's going to be providing, you know, some practical sessions out on the grass. And we're doing that. We want to do those sorts of things around the country. Um, we've, we've set up a great partnership with XVenture. Um, the, the, the program is, um, is the Essential Skills Program, which is all about soft skills, all about leadership, and culture, communication, emotional intelligence. Uh, in a university environment that's online uh, and our own virtual college, which is um, a first worldwide. A- absolutely remarkable thing. So 12-hour units, and those units um, earn, um, what do we call them now? Um, CPD, Continuing Professional Development Points, so coaches can keep their licences up to date and valid. And, of course, we'll be, you know, we've been through a horrific couple of years Everyone that's in a job that's struggled, it doesn't matter what job it is, COVID has, has a, had a significant impact uh, and that impacts on coaches. And unfortunately, you know, coaches are the ones that, that it, when, when we win games of football, the players get all the accolades as they should. When we lose games of football, the coaches get blamed. Um, and coaches have a, a challenging job. We need to help get better. And their mental health and well-being is just as important as the players and everyone else that occupies a space on this planet. So they're the important things that we can do to support what Football Australia and the member feds are doing. You know, we, it, it really needs to be this sort of a relationship. And we're not there to... to to take the place of them, we can't do. We can't do licensing. We don't want to do that. But all of the things I've mentioned are, are significant parts. And Glenn Worry, who's the um, who's our CEO, that <laughs> volunteers, God only knows, sixty to eighty hours a week. Um, people like uh, Phil Moss, Kath Canuli, Brad Crismali, Nick Rosamilla, uh, um, Karen Grieger, Sarah West, um, and Aish Rabi, our committee, just doing a fantastic group of people that. They only want to achieve one thing, and that's to help coaches get better. So we are for coaches, by coaches, and um, that's our priority for the next 12 months and beyond. Oh, well done. Uh, I was just going to say to you, uh, you mentioned COVID, and COVID has terrorised the uh, the administration that's running the A-League, A-Leagues at the moment. Uh, the APL has been wondering how it can uh, schedule games when players and others have been affected, and we've seen the uh, A-League men's and the A-League women's uh, affected, uh, and uh, I've even watched with interest how uh, uh, Paramount Plus and Channel 10 have coped with the challenges, uh, whether it was the FFA Cup games that they've had to reschedule, and we saw last night uh, another tremendous contest. It looks like Sydney FC has got off its... uh, backside and starting to get back into that rhythm, that winning rhythm. And they beat Brisbane Raw, which means they now advance. And I think they play the Central Coast Mariners next. Uh, So we're getting to the business end of the competition even later than we imagined, but we have to get to the end. And we see that the A-League men's and the women's have had to shift and push games here, there and everywhere. So the mental health of everybody involved in in the code and the fans has been tested. Um, a great many of the active fans have behaved very, very well, but there have been some, my friend, that uh, have overstepped the mark. How do we keep them in check? And can Honestly, coaches with their behaviour on the sidelines help or hinder? Honestly, I, I don't honestly think they can. Winning games, yes, because all fans want 
lots of games. But even <laughs> it always amazed me. I, I, I coached in the uh, Victorian Premier League, won a championship with the uh, Bulleen when Juventus uh, uh, and Bulleen and, and Thomas Town amalgamated together. We beat my old team Heidelberg in the grand final. We got back to the Veneto Club, fantastic facility, just a room full of people, just so happy. Uh, until about 10.30 at night, I got cornered by an old bloke that wanted to tell me how poorly we played. And I was like, come on, man, we just won a championship. You've you got to be kidding me. I said a few other things as well, but I won't repeat those on you. So, you look, I think the fans look after themselves. You know, one of the greatest things, George, is, is that um, my old club, Melbourne Victoria, found a way to re-engage with its fans. And I just think they set a benchmark in the early days of the A-League, the atmosphere that they created in there. Oh, it's wonderful. And, and you know, I think Big, Big Brother and the police uh, caused some, some riffles there. But the good news for me is that um, um, Victory fans are back. And they're doing, in the main, you know, in the main, they're doing a great job at supporting their team and chanting the team and creating a great atmosphere in, 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 the, in the stadiums. Because that's what, you know, that's what we all miss, isn't it? The, the atmosphere, yeah. it just makes such a difference. Watching the, you know, the Premier League this year, the English Premier League this year, last year, um, we're in the main now, the crowds are back and you wouldn't know that COVID existed in a football stadium uh, in the UK right now. Um, but the empty stadiums, uh, you know, it just, it, there's a lacking there. So, yeah, uh, no for magic for coaches in, in terms of controlling the crowds, but apart from winning games of football, because I think that keeps people happy. Um, I, I, I'm just a um, reminder of we've got to move on, uh, but there are a couple of things I want to run past you. <clears throat> uh, over the Christmas New Year break, we've lost a, a couple of great uh, people, uh, notables who've made an impact in various ways. One was a, a tremendous guy called Dave Hewitson in South Australia. He was uh, a mentor, a coach, a player, uh, an administrator, was part of uh, Football South Australia, was part of uh, a number of junior organisations through Norlunga. Um, we, we send condolences and deeper sympathies to his extended family and his wife, Jan. Um, that's tough. Uh, and we lost in Victoria a guy, the best way I can describe him was he was Australia's wild child and answer to Northern Ireland's George Best, and I'm talking about a guy called Ulysses Gokinos. I mean, there's no grander name, and Ulysses was a wanderer, and, and Ulysses <laughs> was a wanderer in his prime, in his golden age. He was fearless. He could head a ball that very few could reach, and he would put himself in places that no one else was imagined, and he was lethal. He used to upset defences like nobody's business, and, you know, he had this unique gift of doing amazingly um, spontaneous things. And can I just reflect for one moment, uh, Dennis Vutsunas, who's the coach that we know very well, and we've had him on FNR, uh, a bit too emotional to join us tonight to talk about uh, uh, the uh, passing of Ulysses Kokinos. But he reminded me of a fantastic episode. Uh, Kokinos was playing for Juventus. It's the dying moments of the game. Of course, Dennis is the referee. They're great mates. But he's turned the defender around. He's been chopped down. Blatant penalty. The whistle's gone. Uh, Dennis has pointed to the penalty spot. Uh, Ulysses has run across, jumped on the on the referee, hugged him and kissed him. To which <laughs> Ulysses suddenly looks askance when Dennis Vutsinas pulls out his, his yellow card and he goes, 
I can't have you jumping up and kissing me. And, and of course, the penalty was taken by uh, Ulysses. He scored the goal. He won the game. And here's the moral of the story. You can't have a coach. Sorry, you can't have a great player and a referee. Great mates. Because you get a yellow card. Ulysses didn't talk to him for another week and a half. <laughs> so you know, we've lost some uh, remarkable people. And uh, you had some opportunity to catch up with Ulysses. What did you make of this this grand character? Yeah, we were at, uh, I was going to say Heidelberg. It wasn't Heidelberg. Fitzroy United for a fleeting moment um, when I, I'm pretty sure when I first got there, we, we never played him because he was, you know, the, the George best playboy and he had the fro, you know, yeah. some hairs to he, he was a bit shorter than me, but I think with the fro included, he was a bit taller than me. Every picture I've ever seen of him, George, invariably him head and shoulders above a defender, head heading the ball goalwards, you know. He, he, and he, he was one of those uh, early pioneers that went overseas and, and obviously played in Greece and, and, and had a you know, he had a life that was full of mistakes and, and things he wanted to fix up. Um, but I got to know him really in the last year or so through some good friends of ours in Sydney, and he he just uh, a wonderful a wonderful man that was really appreciating his life. He, he recently found love, and um, he was a really really close, um, and it's just so sad. And I want one of the I did off air. You know, we caught up with the old Heidelberg boys um, at Christmas um, in uh, at Melissa's in, in in Oakley, and as we'd done the year before, and we invited Ulysses along, and he just loved he just loved being a part of that. You know, the football family. He loved that the football family respected him, what he did, and um, yeah, it's it's just sad. So important that we catch up with people. And we when we say, you know, we should catch up for coffee or lunch, we actually catch up for coffee and lunch. Otherwise, we end up catching up at funerals. Yeah. Sorry yeah, to look, put a downer on that. But, so, know, it, so, so right. So, so right. We should, yeah. never, we should never miss the opportunity to talk to them or catch up with them and remind them of the contribution they've made to the grand game because they've certainly enriched it. And uh, I, I can tell you that uh, we've, I've heard from uh, Heidelberg fans and, of course, South Melbourne, doing what they can next week. I believe there's yeah. a funeral and a wake. And yeah. uh, depending on COVID density limits and whatever, they're going to do the best they can to remember the life and times of Ulysses Kokinos. Uh, Gary yeah. Cole, thank you for joining us. Thanks for giving us uh, an idea of what the coaches uh, are trying to do behind the scenes to help the game and to grow the game and to give those young coaches, like our young broadcasters, a bit more exposure, a bit more experience, <laughs> a bit more in the limelight, in the spotlight, because that's how they learn. I, I was just, I, I was going to test Josh and, to see if he had an old Heidelberg jumper in, in that wonderful uh, collection of shirts. Unfortunately, we don't. But um, he might not be able to find it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he does as well. George, thanks, mate. Really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Josh, great to Chat you as always, mate. Keep the great but um, selling the gospel of football. Love Thank you, boys. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Gary. Cole, joining us on State of Our Football Nation on FNR. We'll take a break. Back with more. And Michael Petrillo, the, uh, the director of football at the Melbourne City uh, Club, will be joining us in just a moment. 
You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Great uh, to have Josh Parrish back in the studio running the show while I'm out on Zoom. Compliments of uh, this COVID uh, scare that's frightened everybody again. Just when we thought we had uh, it's it's uh, we had it just where we wanted it. Uh, this Omicron just skipped under our radar and it's wreaking havoc at the moment. Um, that was the most everyone... SBS pronunciation of Omicron I've ever heard in my life, what, George. What's that? What did you hear? <laughs> that was the most SBS pronunciation of Omicron I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it's it's correct. It's, it is, it is. You're it's right. how you say it, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, that's what SBS pronunciation is. <laughs> it's supposed to sound Yeah, like. no, I hear you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I can remember once at Channel 10, they said to me, would you pronounce it this way, please? Because... Uh, our reporters can't pronounce it the way you pronounce it. And I thought, mm. I'm the anchor. <laughs> they should aspire to do it the way I do it or not at all. Uh, yeah, it's just crazy times. Uh, let's just get back to Gary Cole. What did you make of that? Oh, fantastic. Um, he's got his podcast with great kind of in-depth interviews with coaches on uh, what we don't see, I suppose. Um, and I think it's good that we have a coaches union in Australia. Finally, um, they've got a seat on the FFA Congress now, so they get to vote uh, on the board members, which is great. Uh, I think Phil Moss has been pretty integral behind that as well. But um, uh, we had Phil Moss on quite a while back. It was back when Football Coaches Australia was first sort of making their mark on the scene, and he was saying how A-League coaches' contracts are largely on a sort of three-month rolling basis in, in that that's the, the whole payout they get if they're sacked. So, you know, you might have a two-year or a three-year contract, but, you know, it's only really a three-month contract if that's the, wow. the penalty for, for sacking you. So there's no job security in, in that industry. So, uh, yeah, really great to have Gary on. It's a, uh, great insights he, he provided. And I, I wanted to say congratulations to him. I forgot um, to mention on air, but uh, congratulations to him for being inducted as the inaugural Football Victoria Hall of Fame member. Yeah, that is some honour, but he was some footballer and he's been he's done much more than that. He's con- still contributing to the game and he's done it on a number of different levels. Um, and we had him in the in the in the VPL, we had him in the uh, uh, in the uh, A League with the work that he was doing behind the scenes at Victory. I'm going to look forward to that interview that he does with Kevin Musket. Um, you know, how how you can get Kevin to just let some of the elite white line stuff just slip by while you look daggers at the referee or, <laughs> or, or anyone else. Uh, it's, it's, he is an eclectic um, um, uh, coach. He's in that he's required, he's a required taste, not easy mm. unless you've been a great lover of, of him as a player which we were, of course, because of our allegiance and support of South Melbourne. But you knew that what he was going to give you. And you saw when he went to England how he terrorised the uh, visiting or the, uh, all the attackers because his attitude was, I'm going to take them out. They're never going to forget my name. And they didn't. No. <laughs> he lives in infamy in, uh, in British oh, yeah. football. Uh, I but- love that word, infamy. They've got it in for me, all right? They had it in- <laughs> he had it in for them. It's funny. I, I was talking to my my a friend of mine who's a who's a fourth official in the A League at, at sometimes, and he he actually said that Musket wasn't among the worst uh, uh, 
uh, coaches in the in the league at the, at the time. Uh, he, right. he he got a uh, got an earful from a few others that were, uh, yeah, interlopers from interstate. He said Musket was you know. Not, not not always pleasant to deal with if a refereeing decision didn't go his way, but compared to some of the others, comparatively mild. So I guess he's learned to rein it in when he's uh, donned the do suit think, of the manager. Do you think Patrick Kisnorbo is learning how to rein it in? <laughs> I think uh, maybe spending some time sitting down on crutches uh, maybe has tempered him slightly. No, I'm, Melbourne City are having an interesting season. Uh, it's It's something to keep an eye on because Marco Tilio continues to impress when given the opportunity, but... Yeah, you know, who do you drop out of that front three to to accommodate him? And that's that's the dilemma facing Kisnorbo at the moment. Because based on performances, I don't think there's much controversy to say that Tilio should be starting every week. Yeah, no, I, I can't say any more about Marco. You know my thoughts about Marco. Mm. He needs to play. He has that uh, that bag of skills that is not readily available, and he has a tremendous will to succeed. And he's a very humble young man. And I was hoping Michael Petrillo would give us some more insight. I'll tell you the young man that I am delighted for, Nathaniel Atkinson, Mm. who had some small injuries that made his um, new season start. Uh, You know, he missed a couple of games. And it showed because he was, you don't become player of the season and win that award and and then struggle for the first half a dozen weeks. And then when you come in, you show your worth straight away. He's he's off to Scotland. He's uh, we saw him sign the paperwork. Uh, we wish him a tremendous career uh, overseas. I, I hope yeah. he pro- just, yeah, just producing hope, the heart of Midlothian shirt for the podcast yeah. listeners. I hope he proves a whole lot of knockers wrong. I think he's got enough tools in the game. What do you make of Nathaniel Atkinson's opportunities and options going forward? Uh, I am really optimistic, and I was talking to to Lockie Flanagan about this on Tuesday's show. Yep. Uh, Hearts play wingbacks. They play 3-4-3 or 3-5-2, depending on their personnel up front. Uh, That right wingback slot is currently occupied by a veteran player who's well-loved in the team, um, but coming towards the end of his career and probably doesn't provide the forward thrust that Nathaniel Atkinson would on that flank or the, the skill. He's more of a, a stay-back-and-defend type of, uh, of right-back. So the, the system hasn't always suited him, and I, I think Atkinson has been bought as the successor um, on that in that right wing back slot, and I think they'll they'll share minutes to start off with. But I think Atkinson is going to impress when he gets in the team. That that role seems tailor made for him, and he's already got a compatriot over there in in Cammy Devlin, who the fans have taken to immediately. So another Australian, um, why not? Well, uh, not only another Australian, but a Tasmanian devil, because he's got <laughs> a little bit of fire, and I just want him to rein that in. I love the fire. I love the mongrel. You you know what I'm talking about. In Scotland, George, I think you let it out. (laughs) That's what they love about Devlin. You can't let the dogs out (laughs) all the time. You can have a little, you can have a little wander, but refereeing is is pretty uh, pretty forgiving over there. I would say so. That might suit more willing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There are some big tackles flying in, and uh, you know the referee needs something very compelling to produce a, a booking. Uh, even for the sort of off-the-ball stuff and, uh, and I guess, on-field banter that Devlin would engage in. 
You're uh, you're a former referee, or I think you referee mm. occasionally. What would you have given uh, Ulysses Kokinos a yellow card if he jumped up, hugged you, and kissed you? Uh, if Ulysses Kokinos did that, I'd have told him to buy me dinner first. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's probably the right thing to do because you can't have the situation where the other players see your you giving or see you 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 giving a player preferential treatment. You have to maintain the. Uh, the veneer of impartiality, even if you have a relationship with this person outside of the game. So I think it probably is the right move, but I can understand Ulysses being the, uh, the vibrant character that he was. He would have been incredulous. <laughs> Not only incredulous, he didn't forgive him for a no. week and a half. And, they, and we're talking about two young men at the time who were great mates. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah? And one had the skills, was, was uh, uh, very articulate, uh, could speak English uh, very well. Uh, English was not was not uh, Ulysses' favourite uh, topic, nor nor one of his great strengths. But boy, did he have all the other skills! And nature was very kind to him, even gave him a fro. I mean, you notice when he was when when Gary Cole was talking about Ulysses' fro, he got a little jealous. <laughs> Who wouldn't oh, be? No, look, uh, it's um, it's we we, we we've got a a wake and a funeral coming up Thursday of this coming week. South Melbourne are doing what they can. Uh, great to hear that uh, Heidelberg have also made a tremendous gesture. I just hope it's one of those very special occasions where we get to say goodbye to uh, to a man who was larger than life uh, on the field and mm. off the field, got himself into some trouble, uh, had quite some scrapes, um, but eventually emerged and uh, was quite a quite a genuine human being towards the uh, the latter part of his years. Yeah. That was Ulysses Kokinos. Uh, mate, uh, thank you for joining us and giving us this opportunity to do State of Our Football Nation back on FNR. Uh, I promise you we'll have uh, some more guests next week. So join us Thursdays, FNR, between 5 and 6 for State of Our Football Nation. See you, Josh. See you, George. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.